Good morning. It is Monday, January 14th. It's 7.47 a.m. Hope you all had a good week. Um, I just woke up from a dream that I was simultaneously listening to and um, conducting a true crime pro- podcast. It was more fun than it than it sounds. I had a really intense dream on Sunday that I I woke up feeling I I woke myself up crying in the dream. Um I really can't go into the details of that dream, but it was very real. Um so there so yeah, it's a lot of intense dreams and and uh, mediocre dreams as well. So, uh, yeah, this week has been extremely action-packed. I have Lavinia on my chest, by the way, so we hear that weird noise. She's she's purring up a storm. Um, but, yeah, it was just a whirlwind of commerce. Uh, the wheels of commerce were just turning and turning all week, um, and for that I'm grateful. I feel really good to be sustainable, and um, it's something I've always wanted for myself, and... But man, I need an employee. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I finished my snake necklace for Taylor and gave that to her last night. Um, and now I'm after I get back from the post office after this, I'm going to start in on my sweaters. I've got some commissions for sweaters. Um, feeling a little overwhelmed by that, but I I think that I. I kept it to a small amount of commissions, and um, I'm going to keep it a very small amount of commissions. I don't want everyone walking around with these sweaters, just a few people at a time. Um, I did tarot at Rose's event at Virgil's. Uh, it was a David Bowie-themed event to celebrate the life of David Bowie. And I was in the back. I was concerned about people being intoxicated and asking for readings, which is kind of um, not my favorite vibe. <laughs> but fortunately, Arena brought about three or four people, and they all got readings, and they got them before they were buzzed. So that that worked out perfectly. Um, what else has happened? It's it's such an action packed week. So, so much physical work and, and just, um, communicating constantly. Um, last night when I went to drop off Taylor's necklace, um, it was also game night. Um, so Jen and Brace and Tori and her sweet man friend, I believe his name is David. I'm kind of bad at with names sometimes, but he's lovely. I really like him. Um, and Taylor and Burke, of course, were there. Taylor had made a smorgasbord snack buffet um, in the shape of the square um, cutting board island in the middle of the kitchen. It was very, very large. Um, it, it was 36 by 36 inches of of kind of like a mezza platter type thing, and it it was quite a spread. I, I wish y'all could have seen it. So. I nibbled on that a little bit. Um, I'm still eating a lot of spinach. 
there wasn't any spinach on the spread, but there was a goodly amount of celery, so I helped myself to that in between the more fatty snacks. Uh, but there really wasn't anything too fattening on there. Um, there was some some tuna salad that had been hand canned or canned manually by um, the wife of of a politician who uh, who Taylor um, does some some nannying for. So that was exciting to have hand canned tuna from a politician's wife. And it was delicious. I got to hand it to her. It was good tuna. We, uh, she had a little tuna salad happening. Uh, but then I had to leave right before 8. Um, so I didn't get to play taboo with everybody. Um, and I hot-footed it down Noe Valley to back to my neighborhood on Cap Street. And I watched the 90 Day Fiancé part two season finale and you know it's it's unpleasant people who can barely stand each other getting married so it's very similar to to if you um had an elopement out in the real world (laughs) um there was only one couple that genuinely seemed fond of each other um but yeah that was fun I had a lasagna that Donnell made that has a tofu ricotta rice noodle lasagna noodles and lots of zucchini it was very good I I sometimes hesitate to to try things like that but um, I knew that it would be good and there's also a very large spinach salad with apples in it after that uh, we watched the Amish the show about the Amish people um these Amish young people who leave their communities and drama ensues. Um, Then I had to go to bed. I watched a lot of TV that night and I just needed to calm down (laughs) um, on my own terms. Um, So I, so back to Noe Valley, Um, I got a little bit of information that gives clues into the character and the and the demeanor of the two ghosts on Noe Valley. Uh, Taylor told me of a an encounter she had recently. She was in the bathtub bathing and uh, she felt the presence of a ghost and she felt it so strong she got out of the tub and she has a small statue that she was ready to use to defend herself with. She felt that someone was in the house. And it was a negative and um, very scary feeling. Um, and then her her stomach started cramping terribly. And it hurt so bad she was laying on the floor. And when Burke came into the door... Um, they saw her and she was crying. She was in a lot of pain. Uh, the, the pain from the cramping did subside, but she attributes it to um, the agitation, perhaps from the murderous spirit, and, and maybe they were putting pressure on her. Who knows? Now, to be clear, I'm not sure if that's the same presence in the house 
of the, the two benevolent Edwardian ghosts. It may have been several, two options. It could have been they have, they're um, capricious and they, they were in a, a foul mood. Um, perhaps there was something, something that had happened in the bathroom a long time ago. The second, the second theory, which is one that I, I tend to believe, is um, that it was another presence separate from the two benevolent ghosts. Because the benevolent ghosts, although strange, I don't think that they would have a murderous intent, as far as I know. Um, I might be eating my words later down the road, but um, I feel like a the that murderous presence was another another spirit, honestly, that had come through. Now, Nancy uh, said that she saw them right after Taylor and Burke had moved in, out in the backyard, holding up Taylor and Burke's bikes, which are stored in the backyard. And the, and the tall one was shaking the bike around. And she noticed that the little one, the short guy, he has kind of a reddish toned hair. And her speculation that it might have been one of the Dutch that settled in Noe Valley. Now, I looked through, I couldn't find any Dutch families um, or a large conglomerate enough to... Um, be mentioned in the histories of Noe Valley. Um, originally in Noe Valley, indigenous people lived on that hill. And they were eventually, you know, repopulated or redispersed into different areas, perhaps killed, who knows. Um, but then the when the Mexicans lived there, um, they the Mexican families that were there before everybody um, were given land grants. And so Josue Noe was what, uh, the one, the leader of his, his family who got that, what is now known as Noe Valley. Um, so for a time, his family lived there in the area, his extended family. And then the Irish, Italian, and German immigrants came in. I didn't see anything about the Dutch, but, you know, I don't know much. And there may have been some that I don't know about. And Nancy's lived in Noe Valley for 30 years, and I don't. I live in the mission. So there you go. So so we'll just stir the Dutch into the melting pot. Um, right after the earthquake, there were patrolmen who would ride on bicycles uh along 24th Street where Noe Valley, heart of Noe Valley is, and they would check in on everybody because there were different people cooking outside um, because, you know, at the time you still had to get a permit to uh, to cook uh, using your stove indoors after the earthquake and fire. They would check on the people's stoves. They would uh, make sure that everyone's Things were in proper working order. A lot of things were happening outside because people's houses were being rebuilt, and uh, and they were kind of in a, a state of um, of you know in between of limbo. So these these benevolent ghosts were holding the bikes up, the tall one in particular, and shaking them around. 
So maybe they were upset that the bikes weren't being put to a charitable use. Or maybe they were just displaying their strength because as ghosts, they have superhuman powers. Um, bikes aren't particularly heavy, but I think they're awkward. Um, when I'm trying to lift my bike up in the in the storage area, it's like, oh, God, <sighs> it's so awkward and cumbersome. So those are some strange and conclusive clues about the uh, the ghosts in Noe Valley. And uh, no one knows still the original owners who they were. Uh, they... I was told that now that uh, Bruce's family, who who now Bruce owns the building, but Bruce's family signed signed the deed for it in 1940. Um, so I I think there might have been someone right before them. So there may have been three owners in consecutive order. So yes, it is. It is an interweaving mystery. Um, I'm curious about the Dutch that may have lived in Noe Valley. Uh, when I looked it up, all I could find was Dutch apple pie. Um, the bicycle thing kind of interests me because that means they weren't coming from, you know, from beyond Dolores Street. Because if you go if you go up Twenty Fourth, there's a huge hill that kind of stops you from riding your bike up there. Or, I mean, it stops me. I mean, you know, I've tried to be a hero and ride my bike up Noe Valley, and I've succeeded, but it's really no picnic. And, and then you're just kind of standing there out of breath, looking looking a mess. Um, so whoever was, whoever was patrolling with the bikes, they lived in Noe Valley proper. Um, so that's another, another clue. So I feel... Even though I'm not able to to understand the linear meaning of a ghost holding up a bike and shaking it around, I and Nancy um, have separately concluded that it has something to do with the patrolling of Noe Valley um, and, and the protection of Noe Valley. So that, I think, that really hits on something, um, that they, they were in a, they were in a, a minor civic position, so it was not Abe Roof and Gene Schmitz, even though the height disparity is there. But uh, but they were um, they had a, a like a a minuscule uh, you know kernel of of power some power within Noe Valley, and and it was limited to probably twenty you know, 25th through 23rd streets in Noe Valley, um, areas where you don't have to ride up a hill, you know, um, cause then what's the point of having the bike? So that gives me, that gives me a clue too. So, um, they, there, it's a long and winding road. Uh, it's just also an uphill road in, in more ways than one in, in my discovery. So, uh, Moving forward, they got all the graffiti off of the new Law Victoria location at 24th and Cap. And, and you know, the, the windows also needed a good cleaning, so they're also clean. I'm starting to become more wary of whether the, the bakery will be a success because all that graffiti doesn't bode well. 
But I, when I was riding uh, into Petrero to drop something off earlier in the week, I rode by La, the old La Victoria, and it looked like it had been shuttered for a while. It's just, you know, I just didn't really notice it. And now I do. Um, I have been listening to this chanting called Taize, and it's primarily in Latin, and some some of them are in English. But it, um, it's not it's not typical chanting. It's it's uh, they're more like canticles actually, and they are um, arranged. You know, it's a mostly vocal arrangement, like choral arrangements with, with a minimal instrumentation behind it. And it's so beautiful that I'm kind of starting to listen to that before bed um, instead of the hypnosis videos. I've been kind of switching off. And I found out that there is a Taizé service here in San Francisco, and I'm really looking forward to going to it. I think it's going to be the highlight of my hectic week. Um, so basically what you do is you get to the, you get to the sanctuary and it's in the dark and there's no sermon, there's no prayers or anything like that, but then they have this beautiful music. Um, it's like a Catholic kirtan in a way. They have this beautiful, uh, this woman who apparently has a very angelic voice singing these Latin chants and prayers. And then on the altar, there is there are all these candles, and you go up and you light candles, and you look at these candles in the dark with this beautiful music, and I just cannot wait to go to this and experience this. Um, Kirsty and Kelsey and possibly Meryl will be joining me, so that is something that I'm looking forward to. I've, I'm working on this suit for myself as well. So I need to go source more findings to put on the suit. Um, I've got several models coming in throughout the week. I kind of did a, a casting call for models, and now now it's an embarrassment of riches. So I just have to sort through that. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a really productive week already. The shipping, I am overwhelmed by. I'm at that point, which if you know me at all, you know I'm dedicated to shipping. Ugh. Um, and I think I might have to hire somebody who's competent to uh, pack the items with care. So yeah, I'm going to make myself a soft boiled egg and get started on that shipping. Thank you guys for tuning in and for bearing with me on this Snowy Valley mystery. Uh, it truly is an uphill climb towards the answers, but I believe Nancy has hit on something of value because why would these two ghosts gravitate towards um, towards the bicycles? All right. You guys have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.